Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Well, good morning and welcome to the Grove. We are so glad that you are joining us for Church Online. My name is Stephen, and we are so glad that you are with us today. Now, before we jump into what we're going to be talking about this morning, I just need to tease uh, what we're going to be doing next week. Now, next week's Fourth of July weekend, and so I know a lot of us may have travel plans, but I have been working on this, this something fun and exciting for us uh, to kind of land the plane and tie a bow around the entire Exodus series. And we're going to be doing that next week. So make sure that you tune in next Sunday for Church Online at the Grove because I've got something really exciting and I think it'll be really meaningful to you and to all of us in our conversation over the last three months on the book of Exodus. So that means that this morning we're going to kind of look at the final chapters of Exodus. And this is the part, if you've ever tried to read through the Bible, and you started in Genesis and you begin to read through, you usually don't have any problems in Genesis because there's a lot of stories and some interesting things happen and there's talking animals. And then you get to Exodus like we've been doing for the last several weeks. And then you make it to the part that we're going to be covering today. And all of a sudden you hear all of these strange instructions all of these rules, all of these recommendations for this thing that God is trying to get Moses and the people of Israel to build. And then you run out of steam because it feels really repetitive. It's bizarre language and it's talking about how this thing needs to be this many cubits long by this many cubits wide by this many cubits high. And if you're like me, this is the part where if you try to read early in the morning or you try to read right before bed, you like kind of start to nod off a little bit because it just gets so slow. But I think it's an important, important part of the story for us to talk about. And I think just like we've seen with every other part of the story of Exodus, this part of the story is so relevant for our lives and our current events right now today. I mean, that's the whole reason we've been talking through this story of Exodus, because it is not just an isolated story that stands on its own apart from everything else in Scripture. But we think that it is part of a much larger story that spans the entire pages of Scripture. And it's a story that we continue to live out in our everyday life. And even in the boring parts, even in the instructions that we're going to look through this morning, there's still incredible relevance for where we find ourselves today. So let me recap where we've been the last couple of weeks. God leads the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt to the base of this mountain called Sinai. Moses goes up to the top of the mountain and has a conversation with God. God gives Moses some rules, and in particular, 10 commandments that he wants his new people to follow as they create a new society, a society that looks dramatically different from the way that Egypt was when they were in slavery there. And so, as Moses is getting these instructions from God, the people kind of revolt and they create their own golden idol to worship, which breaks two of the first ten rules that God gives the people. And we talked about that last week and how we always tend to follow something other than God and the problems that creates in our own life. Well, upon this, God is furious. And because he's so mad at his people, he does what we do when we're mad with somebody. Typically, when we're mad with somebody, we don't want to be around them. 
We don't want to talk to them. We don't want to have anything to do with them. Just the sight of them makes us sick. And we're like, oh, I just need to get away from you right now in this moment. This is basically what happens with God and the people of Israel. Now, he's so mad at them because they've already broken these rules that God's like, you know what, Moses, I'm just going to wipe them off the face of the earth and we'll just start over with a new group of people. And Moses has to kind of talk him down off of that. And so God relents, God gives in, and God comes up with a new plan for how he's supposed to be in relationship with this people. Because this is the point of the, the whole story, is God is trying to create an opportunity to be in relationship with this group of people. The same way that God is desiring to be in relationship with each one of us. That's the point of all of this, is to take us from some place to a better place so that we can be in closer proximity and in closer relationship to God. That's why God takes Israel out of slavery in Egypt and is trying to lead them to the promised land, a place where he can live in relationship with them. But because they can't follow the rules, it severs the relationship. It causes, you know, you know a bunch of you know, obstacles in the midst of their relationship that they're not able to overcome and God doesn't want to overcome. And so it kind of creates a wedge, this kind of division in the relationship between God and his people. And so God comes up with a new solution, and this is where we find ourselves today. This new solution is to create a place, kind of a location where God can exist, where God can dwell, and the people can come into proximity and into the presence of God and experience God in this place. And the language that they use in Scripture in this particular part of the story is called the tabernacle. And really, it's just a big fancy tent that they can come into. God will dwell in the midst of this space and in this place. And the people of Israel can always trust that they can find God's presence. They can find God and experience God in this tabernacle. And so the last 10 chapters of the book of Exodus is God's instruction to Moses on all of the specifications and all of the requirements for how to build this tabernacle, how to build the outer perimeter and how to put certain things made out of gold into the courtyard, ways that people can purify themselves before they get close to God because God is a holy God and people need to be holy to be in proximity and relationship with him. And then the inner tabernacle area where God actually dwells and the way to divide it and how tall it's supposed to be and what the decorations look like. And if you actually read through some of these specifications that God gives, what you'll notice again and again and again is imagery that might sound really familiar. And it's imagery that's created with a specific purpose to remind the people of Israel of the Garden of Eden. And so there's all this language about fruits and animals and birds and all of the different things that are supposed to conjure up that when you come into this place, you're supposed to get the feeling and the experience that you are in the Garden of Eden. Well, let's remember what happened in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was the place where God was originally in relationship with his people, with Adam and Eve. And so God is saying, I've created this new space and this new place for you to come into relationship with me. And so here's the way that you need to build it. Now, it feels a little tedious when I read through it, but if you've ever tried to remodel a room in your house or your entire house 
or you've ever been a part of a redecorating project for work or home, you know how much thought, effort, and energy goes into creating an experience that communicates something when you walk into your house or you remodel your kitchen or bathroom and then you're able to walk in and you finally go, ah, this is it. This is a similar thing that's happening with this tabernacle and all the instructions that God's giving Moses. And so, the last five chapters of the book of Exodus is Moses and the people of Israel actually building this tabernacle. And at the end of Exodus, what we see happen is that once the tabernacle is complete and Moses follows all of the instructions, God begins to dwell inside the tabernacle. It said, like a cloud, God's presence fills the space. And it's on that note that the book of Exodus ends. And so what you have here, and the way that it was designed, was that this tent would be this mobile, portable place that as the people of Israel wandered through the wilderness, that they could set up at God's instruction, at God's prompting, and in the middle of nowhere, or in the middle of the wild wilderness, they could set up this tabernacle and find God and experience God and come into God's presence, no matter what the circumstances were whether it was raining outside or whether they're in the middle of the desert and it was hot and arid. It didn't matter what was happening. It could be in the midst of war. As long as they could set up this tabernacle, God's spirit and presence would dwell in it and then the people could come and experience God. Now, over the next several books of the Bible, as the Old Testament story continues to unfold, what you end up seeing is that once the people of Israel make it to the promised land, now they want to build a permanent tabernacle. And they call that a temple. And so maybe you're familiar with this concept from you know, the Jewish faith that the temple is of utmost importance to the people of Israel. Why? Because just like in the tabernacle, the temple is the place where people come and they can experience God. It is not all that different than the way that we think about church now. Think about how hard COVID has been on all of us for lots of different reasons, but for a major reason because we can't come to church. We can't walk into, these building, into the building. We can't come into the doors. We can't sit in the seats. Every week you're at home or on the road or on your phone and you're tuning in with us and we love that we have the power of technology that allows all of us to gather together. But if you can see it from my vantage point, it's a bunch of empty blue seats. And it's awful from this perspective. I hope for you the perspective that you're looking at is a whole lot better than the one that I'm looking at. But there's something that just feels gross and like unsettling about our inability to gather together in church. Our buildings are closed. And it feels weird. It feels off. It feels like in some way... We're not able to come to the place where we can experience the presence of God. Because the church building is so much of what we associate with God's presence. If we could come to church, then it would feel right. Because, listen, I know how it is. I know how difficult it is to motivate yourself to open your laptop or turn on the iPad or your phone or throw it on the TV in the midst of you know, a lack of schedule and routine in our daily lives to take time on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. to tune in for church online with us, I know that there are a lot of other things that distract us right now. I know there's a lot of other things that weigh on our minds and ways that our schedule is being you know, vied for by other opportunities. 
I know that there's a lot of competition in the midst of this place when we can't show up to church. But I think what we forget, at least what I would want to remind us of, at the very least, is when Jesus established the church, he never meant it to be a building. When Jesus was walking on the earth, he looked at the way that the temple functioned in the life of the people. And he recognized that there was an issue with that. Because people had to go to one specific location for them to have access to the presence of God. They had to make some journey to a specific city to walk into a certain place for them to experience God. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. That's limiting to God in a way that I don't think God intends. God is far bigger than that, and God is far more accessible than that. There shouldn't be limitations to access when it comes to God and to the ways that we can experience the presence of God in our own life. Think about exactly what has happened in our world. We are denied access into the physical space that we call the church. But according to Jesus, that's because we're using the word church incorrectly. For Jesus, the church was always about a group of people. It was always about a movement. It was always about a way that people could live their lives in response to God that created a different reality on earth. Now, what does that mean? Very simply, it means that when we live like Jesus teaches us to live, it changes things around us. It creates an environment. It creates interactions with people. It creates a relationship that looks different than the world that we encounter. It's these little pockets of safety, these little pockets of grace, of hope, of joy, of peace in the midst of all of the uncertainty in the world around us. Think about the way that the tabernacle functioned in the story of Exodus. It was mobile. And so in the middle of the desert, in the middle of the wilderness, this tabernacle could stand. And it could be this lone beacon of hope. That's the way that Jesus envisioned his church at work in the world today. For 2,000 years, the church has been this place of refuge, this shelter in the storm, in the midst of all of the violence, in the midst of all of the disease or famine or oppression or injustice or any of the things that the world has been struggling with for 2,000 years. The church has been this beacon, this place of hope, this place that people could come and experience the presence of God. But it has never been about being tethered to a location. It's about being connected to God. And so that's what I want to encourage us about this morning because it is so easy for us to get discouraged. It is so easy for us in the midst of all that's happening in the world around us, in the midst of this kind of looming uncertainty about are we about to go back to shelter in place as COVID cases continue to rise, as we see things kind of stalling in the way that our state is trying to reopen. I get a lot of concern about what happens if not only are we not able to continue the plan to move forward and reopen everything, life in general, but specifically the church, but what if we're in this place for a long time? If that's the case, and I'm not suggesting that that's where we're headed, but if that's the case, then we have to be able to access God outside of this physical building. And so that's what we've tried to offer you over the last four months that we've been in this place is creative solutions, creative ways that we can gather together to remind ourselves that the church has never been a building. It's about a group of people coming together, agreeing upon a certain lifestyle to make certain choices in their daily lives in a way that stands apart from the rest of the world. In the midst of all of the uncertainty, 
all of the pain and all of the frustration, all of the uh, cries for justice that we see in the world. What we don't need is for people to come to church. That's not the solution to any of this. The solution to all that ails our world is not for people to be able to go to church, but it's for people to actually be the church. And we can do that. We do not have to come into this building for us to actually be the church in the world, to be this group that lives life differently, that creates a new reality on this earth, in our relationships, in our interactions, in our communities. The church has always been resilient, impervious to all of the external circumstances around it. For thousands of years, the church has survived. Even when buildings fall or even when doors close, Because the church is not about a physical location, but it's about a relationship with God. And so here's what I hope for us. I hope that we'll recommit to making our time together on Sunday mornings a priority. I hope that we'll recommit to opening up our Bibles, to getting on our knees in prayer, because it is in those ways and in that manner that we are reminded and we can learn what it looks like to live as followers of Jesus Christ. The goal of church is not not for us to come together into this place, but for us to begin to transform our choices, our thoughts, our patterns, our lives, our decisions, wherever we are. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be rolling out some new ways that we can connect together, some new ways that we can offer to you so that you can be reminded of what it looks like to live like a follower of Jesus. And if we have to stay in this place, If we have to stay in a place where our physical doors are closed, then we'll continue to innovate and get creative about the ways that we can teach, the ways that we can equip, the ways that we can connect you together with other people so that we can all do this thing together. This building doesn't have to be open for us to be the church. And so as we commit, as your staff, to ensuring that we provide you with opportunities to learn and to grow and to connect with one another, I hope that you'll recommit to what it means to be the church in your own lives, to tuning in on Sunday morning so that we can gather together virtually, to sing songs together, to pray prayers together, to learn together, and then taking advantage of all the opportunities that the church offers to learn in your own lives, to create new rhythms of discipline, and to serve each other in in this community. I know this is a tough time for us, but I am confident that throughout all of this, we can emerge stronger more committed, better examples of Jesus Christ. And so it's not about filling these seats as much as I want to fill these seats. There's nothing that I would love more for us to be able to open our doors and for all of you to come in. No mass, no fear, no anxiety, no worry. But that's not what it means to be the church. What it means to be the church is what we say each and every week. It's not about this building and it's not about this service, but it's about you living out your faith in the world. And I am more committed to that than ever before. And so my prayer for us is that we will be a people who are committed to living out our faith in our own lives so that God can work through us and that we can radiate the example of Christ in this world. That no matter what the storms are, no matter what the problems are, that the church can stand and be a beacon of light. Let me pray for our time together this morning. Gracious and loving God, you installed your church on this earth to be a demonstration of what it looked like to live in relationship with you and what it looks like to live in relationship with each other. 
So independent of whether our doors are open or closed, God, help us to live this way in our lives. Help us to make a priority of following in your example each and every day. We love you, and we're grateful that we're able to gather together virtually, that through the power of technology, we can stay connected, even when it feels like we are so distant from each other. God, throughout all of this, remind us that you are with us, that your presence is in our midst, and that whenever we cry out to you, that you hear us, that you are available to us, and that you are at work within us and in our lives. God, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.